Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. There's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Hello, friends, and welcome to The Secret Podcast with Sixth Sense Media and Service of Change. It's the show that challenges reality, questions that which we've been taught in hopes of inspiring a direction of thought to bring about change, making the paranormal feel quite normal and the supernatural quite natural. That's, again, what we aim to do on this episode of The Seeker Podcast. Even more information and testimony about the UFO disclosures. I'm continuing to track this story with lots of support from my colleague and co-founder of Sixth Sense Media, Ray Davis. He sent me some good stuff, along with some of the other listeners out there. Shout out to you who have been sending me content. I'm going to go over on this show. Uh, just, it just keeps getting more and more interesting. Where I, I, I'm going to stick with my narrative from last week. Uh, I, I don't think they're telling us the whole story. I think this is some form of a deception. And I think they're trying to discredit certain reports that have come out in the past without really giving much evidence other than the old-fashioned, let's make fun of the conspiracy theorist. I want to talk about a... Um, couple interviews that I've come across, a, a recent interview with Chris Mellon on the Tucker Carlson show. I was pretty harsh on Tucker Carlson last week. I'm going to stick with my stance on that. And uh, an interview done by Eric Benson of, with Harry Reid. Harry Reid was the uh, former Senate Majority Leader who actually founded or created and, and fi- found the funding for the uh, Unidentified Aerial Threat Phenomenon, whatever that program was called, the Pentagon through the, the program through the Pentagon that was researching UFOs. I'm going to go through some of that uh, information. I uh, didn't think I was going to get this show on this week, actually. I feel like, I, I say this every week, it's been a crazy week. I think my life is just crazy. Um, it was it Thursday night? You know, my Both of my daughters have March birthdays, and we have a birthday party planned for the two of them tomorrow. So our fridge is stocked with a bunch of fruit and goodies that we have prepared for the party Thursday night, my fridge decides it just doesn't want to work anymore. So <laughs> luckily, there's still snow on the ground. So we had to take everything out and put it in coolers and put it outside in the snow to keep everything cold. Had to take a day off from work on Friday, go out to the store and get myself a new uh, refrigerator. And, uh, you know, I was, I was overwhelmed with uh, just what we had to do. And I just had to take a minute and pause and just say, you know, I can't control so many things in this world, but I can control my reactions to them. So I calmed myself down Came up with a plan, found a fridge, rented a truck real quick, and uh, everything just went really smoothly. Uh, you know, and again, so we, we need to remember, I need to remember, you can't always swim against the current, and you can't always avoid the strong undercurrent that may be sucking you out to sea, but you can learn to surf on top of that wave and, and you know, make the best of it. Uh, so that's what I was able to do. Uh, but then after, after that, after, you know, I got that in, I had an appointment yesterday, uh, by the time I got home around dinner time, uh, my I got hit with another virus, nauseous. Just I didn't throw up, but it just feeling terrible. Uh, you know, so we set up for my daughter's birthday, and I passed out. I couldn't do the show last night, and I was I wasn't going to do it this weekend. Um, but I was looking at all the content that you know those of you out there have been sending me, and I think it's important to keep this conversation going. And, and that's what I understand is that. You know, those of you who have been sending me messages and stuff, you know, I know there are some of us that are interested in this, but overall, the public just doesn't seem to care. They don't seem to be listening. They don't seem to be talking about it. And maybe that's because right now in our faces, this doesn't impact our day-to-day lives, I guess, because this is what str- uh, struggling I'm struggling with is every day I, I, I go to work and I, you know, I teach my classes and I come home and, you know, we, we pay our bills. I make my calls to clients for real estate and, None of that has anything to do with UFOs. But what are we missing here? What technologies out there that could drastically improve or enhance our lives? Or who are the beings that are piloting these craft? How could knowledge of them impact our world, our understanding of this existence of our own life, of who we are and our relationship to the universe? And there's so many potential life-changing questions that are out there and to have this acknowledgement that there's UFOs out there. I have to keep pursuing this. So I I'm, I'm, I know or I fear that people out there are going to start rolling their eyes and say, Dennis, give it up. But I wasn't going to do the show on this this week. I want to, you know, because there's 
some good AI stuff going on out there as well that I want to come back to. And But I think this is important to talk about. And I'm trying to keep this information current because I don't want it to get lost in the white noise and get overrun by the mainstream media. Um, came across a Stephen Greer interview March 16th. He did an interview and his discussion validated everything that I said in last week's show. He has the same concerns with the To The Stars Academy, that they're, they are misleading the public. I will have the links to his stuff uh, at sixcentsmedia.net and at servicechange.com in the show notes and in the secret newsletter when I get those out. Um, but he is also equally as concerned. Um, I've, I've always been skeptical of, of Dr. Greer, I'm becoming less skeptical of him. My biggest gripe with what he puts out is that he says that the all aliens and UFO contact on the planet is peaceful and benevolent. I've yet to see his evidence of that other than his testimony. So that's my one big problem. That's a big one because I, I, I don't know for sure. And he claims that all of the cattle mutilations and alien abductions that are hostile and scary and terrifying, he says, are all done by this secret government. Again, I can't say no, but that's one of those statements. You need to back that up, buddy, with a little bit more than just one of your witnesses told you. So that's my concern with him. I'm not saying he's infallible, but what I respect about him is his plans. He's He keeps talking about how people, the, the, the garage-based scientists develop world-changing free energy, but then they get sucked into when they try to get it patented or they try to get it, um, you know, they try to sell it and the the technology either gets bought and then hidden away because the oil companies have such a stronghold on this world or the people don't present it in a way that they're protected and they end up getting themselves killed meaning whoever has these interests comes after these people. So he has a plan where he proposes, hey, come to me with this technology and we will do this in a live video because now the internet allows us to do this in a w- and we will protect you and we give this to the world for free. You're not going to become a millionaire off of this. We need to give this technology and replicate it and let the world see this in an open source format so we can give it, and he, he says that's a plan to change the world for the better. I highly respect that. The other thing he does is what's called CE5, uh, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, where he claims that um, there's a specific way to meditate. He said all the links are on his website. I have not checked this out yet, where time and again he claims to be getting repeatable, repeated results. If you meditate in this specific fashion that, that I guess this app that he has teaches you to do, time and again UFOs appear based on the meditations that you're doing. Now, you know, my cautious mind is saying, well, how I many this isn't some kind of Trojan horse inviting some kind of trouble into our lives? We don't know. This is something I'm thinking maybe once the weather gets a little bit warmer, I'll hike up to the top of the mountain where I live. Uh, I, I do want to give it a try. If any of you have tried this, his website, I believe, is Serious Disclosure. I don't know if it's .net or .com. Um, and it should have everything in there. This is something that I, I think is worth trying. Um, you know, it ties into the meditation and the... the um, psychic stuff, the remote viewing stuff that, I, that I've been uh, looking into pretty intently as well. So I would like to look into that. More to come on that, but what I respect about Greer is he's not peddling the fear. He does have peaceful solutions in mind. I question some of his, some of the content of what he puts out, some of the conclusions that he's drawn, but I respect everything that he has done in terms of pulling people together and getting this information out there. The National Press Club, you know, disclosure event, uh, his documentary Unacknowledged that's out there. Completely conflicts, though, with what's been out there, been put out there by the To The Stars Academy and, and their group who are former government people as well. So I want to talk a little bit more about all this stuff in a minute. A couple things in the news, I think, that are worth drawing our attention to. This one comes to us from the BBC. The origins of the six-inch mummy confirmed. Tests on a six-inch long mummified skeleton from Chile confirm that it represents the remains of a newborn with multiple mutations in key genes. So I'll have this link up there. It's coming from the BBC. You can draw your own conclusions, but you know the claim was that this was initially an eight to 13-year-old child. 
the thing is, I mean, it's six inches long. It's half a foot. It's very tiny. Um, so the thought was that this thing was up and walking around as a little being. It's got the elongated skull and everything. It looks like this tiny little gnome or tiny little alien creature. And initial tests were saying, hey, that's what this thing is. It's, it's not human, but it looks like now the tests are coming back that it was a human newborn with horrible, horrible genetic defects. I, I don't know. Is this a deception now? Carefully placed, designed to throw us off the trail. I'm sure more information will come out on this going forward. But the BBC, the mainstream, now they're saying, in fact, it is not an alien. It is uh, a human. But the, here's the challenge, is that we know that the media gets compromised. We know that they put false stories out there and false trails out there and cover their tracks very well so that when you have this conversation with somebody, they say, oh, I read that one BBC article. It said it's a little girl. So I, I, I don't know. There, there is science references in here. I'm not a scientist. Um, I was just listening to Jimmy Church the other day talking to, uh, I believe this was Dr. Greer and his team that, did the initial analysis on this, if it's the same being I'm thinking of. Um, I don't know what that means. Is he being discredited, or were they wrong? Did they miss the mark on this one? Is this, in fact, uh, just a human and they made a mistake? Conflicting information here. It needs to be run to ground. Without calling names, without discrediting, let's look at the science. Let's compare it. I, I hope that if Dr. Greer you know, gives a response to this and acknowledges it, and, and, and if he's wrong... That builds trust and credibility. Hey, we missed it on this one. We were wrong. It's not an alien. So more to that. You can find that in the show notes. That's at the BBC. Interesting article. Uh, I, I got this through our, our Twitter feed. Um, Ray had shared it. I'm going to share the links to it. It's through the Washington Post. Nothing worked for my depression until I tried meditation. It talks about this woman who went through, had all these challenges with depression, everything that she tried, Um and then it has links to, what's it called here? It talks about mindfulness techniques. Uh, and there's a link to an app called Headspace. Now, the Headspace, there's like a 10-day free trial. I started it. I did one day of it. And it's just kind of reprogramming your mind and teaching you how to meditate if you're not someone who's comfortable meditating. Um, a lot of times we think, i got to clear my mind of all thought. And that's not necessarily it. Being mindful is paying attention to specific things. So I, I do a technique with my children. I have them sit cross-legged and I have them close their eyes and I ring a bell. And I say, I want you to raise your hand when you stop hearing the bell. Because the bell, it's not just one ring and done instantly. It starts out loud and then it gradually decreases in sound. And that teaches them to focus and to pay attention. And you realize your mind is only listening for that one thing. And it talks about how yeah, other thoughts will naturally creep into your mind when you're meditating. Instead of trying to force them out, you acknowledge them and you let them pass. And then you focus on something like your breath. Breathe in, breathe out. And these are ways to help you become a better, stronger meditator. So it's a pretty interesting article. I will uh, share that again in the show notes. Interesting side note. Uh, again, my response to the school shootings and all this talk of guns and stuff, I made the pitch um, with a colleague of mine to our administrator uh, to develop this meditation program within our school. Um, I think that's all I'm going to say right now. I need to be careful, I guess, how I word what I what my responses are. But she's looking into it, seeing if we can get approval for a pilot program um, to start teaching some of our kids how to be mindful, maybe how to work some meditation, bring in some heart math stuff. And I'd like to bring in some hemi-sync technology out of the Monroe Institute as well to counter that wave of negativity that focus on the guns and take the guns away and let's increase security. Well, let's teach people to better manage their emotions so we don't have a need for any of that stuff. That's my, that's me taking that, you know, a different spin on this quote-unquote fight. So I'm trying, uh, you know, I'm in a school right now. I'm trying to, to do that and make some headway. I will keep you all posted on that front as well. Uh, and here we go. This one is from... This is interesting. This is from Elite Daily. I found this. A uh, friend of mine shared it on Facebook. The first Mercury retrograde of, retrograde of 2018 is going to make us all unpredictable. Fascinating article. Let me tell you something. With the way this week is going, yes, 
Mercury in retrograde. Um, it, it goes in and explains exactly what that means from, a, I guess, an astrological point of view, how it can wreak havoc on our emotions. It's supposed to, right now for the next three weeks, wreak havoc on our ability to communicate. Um, and it threatens things like, hey, you know, it's going to be so chaotic, it may bring your ex into your life, you know, momentarily. But it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It's allowed to allow for healing as well. But it's a really interesting article. But the fact that two days ago or three days ago, my mother's oven caught on fire and the filament broke. And then the next night, my refrigerator breaks as we're getting ready for the party. And then I get hit with this wave of nausea and, and can't function last night until, you know, this morning. I Sold. I get it. Uh, and, and it got me to thinking, too, if you if you understand uh, astrology, if you're an astrologer, I think that would be a great addition to the show, to Sixth Sense Media, to what we're doing here. I would love to get some kind of um, that aspect, that influence on the show as well. So if you have an interest or you know somebody that has an interest, please get in touch. I think, I think we can do great things with that. Um, I'll have the links to this again, like I said, in the show notes here. All right, interesting news story here from Unknown Country. We've been hearing a lot about this, what's going on with Facebook. It's called, this is uh, called Election PsyOps Using Data Stolen from Facebook User. I'm sorry, Election PsyOps. As part of an in-depth investigation into the role big data company Cambridge Analytica played in influence of the Brexit campaign in the United Kingdom and the presidential elections in the United States, the Guardian's Observer magazine has published the story of whistleblower Christopher Wiley Christopher Wiley, a former employee of Cambridge Analytica that devised the behavioral analysis software used by the company, says, we exploited Facebook to harvest millions of people's profiles and built models to exploit what we know about them and target their inner demons. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. Target their inner demons. How crazy was this past election? The fears came out like wildfire. Everything that everybody was afraid of that could potentially happen came out. And and there was a horrible ripple effect to that. So you've got this data mining company that's messing with people's heads through social media, targeting their inner demons because they, I guess they, based on the data points, are able to really know you. That's why I'm so afraid of AI. Um, and then you had allegedly the Russians creating, uh, uh, let me take a step back. I want to preface, allegedly, somebody who they're blaming on the Russians, somebody was orchestrating various different groups to go out and protest and organize, uh, and then you had the paid protesters that were coming out into the mix as well. There has been a consorted, organized effort to wreak havoc here in America and using politics and things like this to exploit our worst fears to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. This is proof of that right here. This again, more proof of the dangers of social media. Uh, I, again, I'm, I'm leaning more and more towards, uh, fortunately, unfortunately, this is how we connect with a lot of you out there. Um, you know, it's a great way to share information, but it also leaves us incredibly vulnerable. We really need to be careful. Uh, I don't have a solution yet on, on how to handle this, but sometimes I swear we need to just go back to print. However, we don't have access to information as quickly if that's what we were going to do. This is a great tool, but it's being abused, it's being exploited, and we're being taken advantage of through this. Keep that in mind. And I'm sure there's things that I've reported on my show got caught up in some of this fear-based stuff. So let's, let's go on. Uh, the data mining company in question, Cambridge Analytica, was created in 2013 as an offshoot of the parent company, SCL Group, formerly known as Strategic Communication Laboratories. Cambridge Analytica was originally conceived to be involved in American politics, but it has also been involved in over 200 elections around the world, analyzing data harvested, harvested from social media and online surveys, using the information to target individual voters with personalized ads in an attempt to influence their political choices. Having initially cut its teeth during the 2014 midterm elections, Cambridge Analytica became involved in the 2016 Republican Party presidential primaries, backing then-presidential hopeful Ted Cruz, of whom Robert Mercer was a major supporter. At the time, California boasted that they had collected, I'm sorry, uh, Cambridge Analytica, not California, had, had collected up to 5,000 data points on over 220 million Americans. According to their website, after Cruz's presidential bid fell through, Cambridge Analytica's service were directed by back 
at backing Donald J. Trump's presidential campaign, and it was during the campaign that they purchased personal information that was obtained from Facebook users by a company called Global Science Research. GSR had harvested the information through a survey app called This Is My Digital Life. At the conclusion of the survey, the app prompted users users to allow the app to access their Facebook profiles and also to the profiles of their online friends. Ultimately, 320,000 people consented to allow the app access to their profiles, in turn enabling the app to access the accounts of an average of 160 other unwitting users per respondent. That's 160 times 320,000 quickly snowballing into a stockpiling of personal information of over 50 million Facebook users. So basically, your friends took these silly surveys and then gave this app access, because in order to post it, I guess you got to grant it access, access to their own profile, and somehow allowed them to authorize access to their friends' profiles. Okay, 50 million people were compromised through this. This is why Nothing is what it seems. You get these fun surveys that you see online, like which celebrity crush, you know, do you have or what would be your name and alien or whatever. And you go through this survey and it's fun, but then it asks you for access to your profile and all the fine print, which we usually don't read. And now you're compromised because you clicked okay because you want to post results on Facebook. As of right now, I think this stuff is dangerous. Stay away from it. Okay. It says Facebook, and it goes on and talks about Facebook saw what was happening and basically sent them an email saying, you need to stop doing this. And what, what, uh, Cambridge Analytica stated was that, well, then what they did was the email said, you have to check a box saying, once you're done, you know, once you've stopped using this information, they literally just checked the box and hit respond. They never, Facebook never really looked into this. Now, keep in mind, Facebook is the company, one of the companies that's supporting censorship in countries like China. Okay, so they're doing a lot of different corrupt types of things as they're trying to expand their reach. Throw AI into the mix. Again, this is, this is not good. This is not good at all. All right. All right, let's move on. I'm, I'm running out of time here. Been talking with Ray off and on uh, over the last week about last week's show. Um, and this is why it's it's so great to have a team because I can only do so much. There's so much that I want to do, but I can only do so much. And uh, Ray, he, he's out there and he's digging and he's finding information. He's able to get it to me. I'm able to put it on the show and get it out to all of you. Um, it, just being a part of a team is a fantastic thing, and I'm so thankful for the work that Ray does. And um, again... If you're interested in joining our team and being a part of this, please, whatever capacity you think you can offer us, please get in touch. We have uh, Ray shared some some uh, links, some images today from some other people who have reached out to us out of Las Vegas who have some pretty interesting photographs of UFOs that they've been tracking for quite some time. Very compelling stuff. Great images. It's on the social media feeds. It's, I saw it on Instagram today. I'm sure it's up on Twitter, and it's definitely up on the Facebook feeds. And our, we have a Facebook group as well, our discussion group. Um, so if you're not following us on those channels yet, please do so. A, a minute ago, I just said social media is you know horrible, but right now this is what we've got. Okay, I know I'm, I'm uh, being a little bit hypocritical here. This is what we've got right now. Until further notice, check it out, please. Um, I love that they're sending us stuff. I love that they're trying to expose this, these images they have through our platform. More will be coming out about these craft that they're seeing, but please go check out the images. I'll, I'll try to have some links up in the show notes and in the newsletter as well, um, but check that out. So one of the things, two of the things Ray sent me were the obituaries for uh, Colonel Corso and General Trudeau. Uh, I did a lot about The Day After Roswell. That's a book written by Colonel Corso, whose claim, and I keep coming back to this, whose claim is Colonel Corso you know, was a career military intelligence officer, and his claim was that he got assigned in the 50s to a research and development unit in the Pentagon, which was run by uh, General Trudeau. And he says that the, a, an, a craft crashed in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. The craft, the debris, the technology, and a, and a, and a couple bodies were recovered. The bodies were not human. And Corso is then claiming responsibility for taking that technology and giving it to various different developers to then create things um, 
that led to the, the development of computer-based technology, fiber optics technology, Kevlar bulletproof vest technology, things of that nature. A lot of different stuff came out of that. Microchips came out of that as well. Um, I think they did something with food preservation as well. A lot of neat stuff, okay? It's a fantastic story. But again, Colonel Corso is a pretty credible guy here. That's the thing. Colonel Corso has the same credibility, the same background as Louis Elizondo of the To the Stars Academy, a career intelligence guy who happens to work for a special program at the Pentagon. So I'm going to read his obituary, thanks to Ray Davis and his detective work here um, that he found. Colonel Philip J. Corso, U.S. Army retired, died at approximately 11.15 p.m. on Thursday, July 16, 1998. He was 83. He was at home on Tuesday, July 15th and was said to be feeling fine when he apparently suffered, when he apparently suffered a second heart attack at about 9 a.m. He was taken to a hospital in nearby Palm Beach, Florida for treatment, but his condition deteriorated. Doctors transferred him Thursday to Jupiter Medical Center. Colonel Corso reportedly died at about the time he reached the Jupiter facility. He really wanted to stay, Corso's son, Philip Jr., told CNI News in a phone call on Friday afternoon. The last three weeks since the first attack have been very productive. I knew he had more to say, and he told me a great deal about the Roswell UFO incident, Philip Jr. said. Unpublished manuscripts and other UFO-related information left by Colonel Corso will be protected and made available in due course to researchers and the public, Philip Jr. said. This is what my father lived for, he added. Okay, so up until his deathbed, he's still claiming he had more information. I got to look into this. Uh, Ray, side note while I'm thinking of it right now, let's see if we can get in touch with Philip Jr. Let's let's do it. Let's see if we can get him on the show. Um, I don't know if Philip Jr. has put more information out there. I, I'm, I'm learning as I go here. Um, so it, those of you listening, if you have resources, if there's interviews, if there's more content that's been made available, please send it my way because we're trying to run this story to ground and counteract what the mainstream is trying to spin. So please uh, get in touch. He continues, Colonel Corso was a highly decorated soldier. will be buried in a military cemetery near Orlando, Florida. He is survived by two children, four grandchildren, and one great-grandchild. And the rest just talks about where you can send condolences and things of that nature. Uh, but then it says, in lieu of flowers, uh, Philip Jr. told CNI News that a fund will be established to create a memorial plaque in Colonel Corso's name. The memorial will be placed at the, quote, true crash site of the 1947 Roswell UFO crash, according to Philip Jr. Again, Say what you will, you believe him, you don't believe him, but even up onto his deathbed, this decorated military intelligence officer stuck to the story. So take that for what it's worth. I think that gives him some credibility. Just saying. All right, so Ray also, uh, in his due diligence, came across Lieutenant General Arthur Arthur Trudeau's obituary. He was 88, retired chief of research in the army. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but his resume in this obituary is extensive. Okay. Um, So I'm skipping around here. He was named chief of army intelligence in October of 1953, but was relieved of his command 20 months later when Alan W. Dulles, director of central intelligence, sent a scathing memorandum of complaints to the Pentagon. Although the comments of the memorandum were not made public, General Trudeau was noted for his vigorous anti-communist statements, and he often clashed with other government officials over their differing views of communist intentions. Troubleshooter for Eisenhower, the general was then named commander of the I-Corps in South Korea and served until 1948, when he was named chief of research and development, a position that would allow him, he said, to inject a vigorous attitude into missile and weapons programs. This just, uh, again, it's an obituary, adds more confirmation or credibility, at least, to who this guy was. Uh, And the fact that he did hold that position that Colonel Corso, in fact, claimed that he held. Doesn't say anything about UFOs, doesn't say anything about the Roswell crash in here. But again, it's just another piece of potentially corroborating information on that story. The other thing that's interesting here is that what Trudeau, what Corso and Trudeau talked about in the book... Um, Corso's words was that the CIA was heavily compromised by the KGB, by the Russians. And the CIA was trying desperately to get its hands on the UFO technology. 
and they couldn't trust anybody within the CIA. This would lend a little bit more credibility because, you know, the director of Central Intelligence Agency obviously sent that scathing letter about Trudeau. Fast forward to today. Again, Wilcox stuff, David Wilcox coming out saying there's the cabal versus the alliance. Uh, We did read some stuff in WikiLeaks. Now I'm drawing a blank. But it does seem that there is, in fact, this rogue element within the government. And it's been there at least since the Cold War. Now, let's put our tinfoil hats on for a minute here. What if the Russians are a convenient enemy to blame because of their intelligence collection ability? And what if this rogue element is, in fact, elements of whatever this race is that's controlling these UFO, these UFOs? I know it sounds wild, right? What if we're compromised from wherever these beings come from? Inner Earth, Hollow Earth, Outer Space, Mars, the previous human society that survived the 12,000 years ago, the cataclysm. What if we're just compromised in that aspect? And then they spread these rumors, rumant, rumor intelligence, and blame it on the, the Russians. And that's been going on for a long time. Something to think about, something to consider. I don't have any way of proving that at this point in time, but I want to keep us aware that there are at least two groups going back and forth within the government right now, at least two. Maybe they're the cause of it, trying to cover their tracks, trying to keep us figuring out is it A or is it B, but in reality, maybe it's C. That's a good intelligence operate there. So I I just want our minds going in that direction. All right. Let's... Fast forward to this week, and a uh, sh- good shout-out shout out to my good friend Chris, who sent me this article here, Harry Reid on what the government knows about UFOs. It's from NewYorkMagazine.com, written by Eric Benson. And it's a transcript of an interview with Harry Reid, who's the former Senate Majority Leader, who is the founder of this Unidentified Aerial Threat Program, um, or, or the man behind it, uh, and, and Eric Benson. So it says, uh, yesterday we outlined 13 reasons to take recent UFO reports of an extraterrestrial life seriously, including a chat with former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid about the government's research into the topic. Here's an extended version of that conversation. Now, uh, here we go. So it it, it has the questions and then the answers outlined in here. I'm going to read some of this, Okay. So it starts out, hi, this is Eric Benson from New York Magazine. And Harry Reid responds, hi, Eric. Why do you want to talk to me? And and uh, Eric responds, well, because the New York Times article and the program that you helped bring about. Now here's Reid's response. Well, I'm happy to talk to you. Just let me preface this by saying this. If we're here to talk about little green men or stuff that you want to look at that was found in New Mexico or something, I'm not interested. If you're here to talk about science, I'm happy to do that. I'm really glad to do that. I'm glad somebody is interested because it's a subject that is being terribly neglected, so I'm happy to talk to you. Right there, that undermines this guy's credibility for me. Okay, Because the Roswell incident needs to be addressed, even if it ends up that it was, in fact, nothing but a weather balloon. If you're taking on a program investigating UFOs and you find UFOs, then you need to take these reports seriously until you can prove otherwise. So when you're meeting with representatives of the media, you need to entertain those questions. You're now laying the groundwork that, well, if you bring this stuff up, you're crazy. It doesn't exist. It's not, you say it right here, it's not science. Well, shame on you. You may have stuff that you can verify now that's more credible that doesn't discredit what happened in the past. That's my problem here. Okay, The rest of the article is, is very interesting. I'm going to read some of the questions. I'm going to skip around. I'll have the links to this so you can read through it. Um, he asked about where his interest came from in the subject. And he says, when I first got out of law school many, many years ago in the mid-60s, it says, when I first got out of law school in the mid-60s, I worked with three other lawyers. A big case we had was a case involving a bunch of rich Las Vegas businessmen. They went to L.A. International Airport, tried to take off, and the plane crashed and killed them all. 
was a very interesting case. It went to the Supreme Court. Uh, a mistrial declared a hung jury went on for years. One of the people who was killed in that plane crash was a guy by the name of Bigelow. He was not he was not as wealthy, but he was a wealthy man in Las Vegas who ran a carpet company, Bigelow Carpet. His son was 18 years old when that crash occurred. He's a central figure in all of this. I didn't know him, but when he was a young man, he heard a story from his grandparents about driving down from Mount Charleston. That's a 12,000-foot mountain just 10 miles out of Las Vegas where they saw something in the air. This so-called flying saucer, for lack of a better description, it piqued his curiosity. He became a very wealthy man, I mean extremely wealthy. During the time that he had some money, he said, I would like to know more about this. He would have several times a year at his big office here in Las Vegas, knew how to make money buying and selling real estate. He would pay for these seminars, these conferences, and would bring in scientists, academics, and a few nutcases. That's a bad way of talking about some people, but you know, people who were really, in my opinion, kind of on the fringes. Probably the number one TV journalist in Nevada was a guy by the name of George Knapp. Now, that's an important name to keep in mind here. He and I were friends. He had known me for years. He said to me one day, hey, I know this guy Bigelow. He's interested in a subject. I don't know if you have any interest in it at all, but you should get to know him. He's got a lot of money. He's kind of an interesting guy. I'll introduce him. You could, uh, you'll go to one of those little deals and spend a few hours with him. I did that really fascinating, quite frankly, because there were people trying to figure out what all these aerial phenomenon was. Bigelow knew I was interested. I've always been a voracious reader. I blinded myself with one eye, and he talks about how he's a good reader now. So this guy Bigelow, who ended up being the company that funded the research for this unidentified aerial threat program, from what I, from what I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but they would gather this data, they'd give it to this company, and he'd research it. Now, I believe Bigelow is the guy, the ranch is called Skinwalker Ranch, if you've ever looked into Skinwalker Ranch. A lot of weird stuff happened, comes out of Skinwalker Ranch, to include cattle disappearing, cattle being found crammed into tiny storage containers. They have no idea how they got in there. Cattle being displaced out of their pens. Sightings from very strange beings. Some of those beings described as the uh, creature from Predator. They, they suspect that maybe a portal was there. Apparently there were some military units there and the, the negative side effects of their experiences there. I'm, I'm talking all hearsay, my friends. A lot of interesting stuff came out of Skinwalker Ranch. So what I don't understand is the comment in the beginning that he doesn't want to talk about little green men and a Roswell crash. We need to do more work up on Bigelow. I think he's got his own agenda. I know there are people out there that know more about him than me. I'm, I'm, I'm learning as I go here. I'm putting out what I can, points of research. If you have more to this story, please let me know. Um, but he seems to be George Knapp, who does Coast to Coast. He's a great journalist. He, he did some interviews when To the Stars first made their announcement. He's an obvious insider in all this. Now we know why. He's been friends with Reed for a very long time. He's the one that made the connection between Reed and Bigelow. Now, you see, we're starting to have the pieces put there. This is analysis here. Maybe seem rudimentary, but we need to understand the players, their relationships, and their motivations. So what kind of spin is Bigelow putting onto this? He's got a lot of money. He obviously has some influence. I, I don't know yet. Um, it's a really interesting read. There's a lot more connections that this guy has made, um, that Reed has made. But again, I, I don't think we're getting the whole story. I think that they are investigating UFOs. I think some stuff does happen at Skinwalker Ranch. But I don't know what's going on. This is a great point of research. I'm going to direct you to it to read the whole interview uh, again because I don't want to steal all that thunder. But I keep coming back to why are you discrediting other things that have come out in the past? I, I don't know. All right. Fast forward to this week. Now, here's my other side note. And let's talk about synchronicity and going with the flow. I was going to do this show last night. I felt sick. I decided not to do it. And uh, this morning, as I was still feeling not so good, I, I followed George Knapp on Twitter. I got a Twitter alert from him. Not that he sent it to me. He just sent it out to the general. And it was the Christopher Mellon full interview with Tucker Carlson dated March 23rd, 2018, which was yesterday. 
So I wouldn't be able to have this piece of information if I wasn't feeling sick to get on the show and on the air and out to all of you today. Now, Chris Mellon is the member of the To The Stars Academy. He's a former uh, deputy secretary of, I want to say, defense or of intelligence. He was a in high-level intel guy. His, his title is, oh, here it is, former deputy assistant secretary of defense. Okay. Now, Tucker Carlson, one of the headlines that flashes across the screen as he's talking to Chris Mellon, it's called, Is the Government Ignoring UFO Sightings, is what the heading says on, on the, his interview. Back to Chris Mellon, Steve Greer talked about him, uh, and apparently Chris Mellon is related to the Mellon family, the big banking family, and I guess they have some kind of vested interest in selling the threat, the fact that these craft pose a threat to humanity. Tucker Carlson starts off his interview asking why the government is ignoring this phenomenon. Chris Mellon tells a brief story about one of these videos out there. He says he got in touch with somebody who was involved with these sightings and that the video was, quote, as he said, a cry for help. Um, again, they're painting the picture that these things pose a threat. The one thing he said that was very interest to me, interesting to me that makes a lot of sense is that he said, he gave the analogy, he said, imagine with these recent bombings that have gone on in Austin, Texas, if a different police department responded to each one. He says, chances are the bombings would still be going on because they're not talking to one another and doing the what's called all-source analysis, that's my two cents, um, that everybody can talk and share the information and put the big picture together. He says, but fortunately everybody was talking and they were able to catch this guy. Now, in my experience in intelligence, I remember after 9-11, the big fear, the big problem was, well, this group had this information, this group had that information, but in intelligence, everybody wants to hold on to that information. And it was a tough lesson for me to learn as well when I was out there was, you know, you have this intelligence, you're told that it's classified, and even other people with security clearances, well, do you have a need to know? More times than not, I'd say Yes. You want to protect your sources and you want to protect your methods of getting information, but if you're not compromising that, then you need to share that with people who are trying to conduct and perform analysis. What good is intelligence if you're not going to share it with the people who can use it? And his claim was that, let me tell my story real quick. I got out, when I was over, this is all in my book, Service, if you're interested in reading about, about the inner workings here, what I went through. I ended up taking over what was called a tactical human team. Our job was to go out into a specific town and gather intelligence, develop sources, and find out where the threat was. So I had a security forces detail. A couple guys whose job was to keep us safe. If people started shooting, they were going to get us out of there. And I asked them, I said, all right, you guys are my eyes and ears out here. I may be conducting a meeting with a source, but you need to be telling me, you know, what vehicles are present? Are people watching us? Who are they affiliated with? What do they look like? And all this stuff. I said, do you guys normally do any of this? They said, no, we just make sure you're safe. I said, well, do you know what you're looking for? No. Why not? Have you been reading the intelligence reports that I've been sending out? No. We were told we don't have a need to know. They knew nothing about the threat that was going on in the area. So I said, well, you, you do have a need to know, and you all have a security clearance. So I put together a, a briefing based on their level of security clearance, and I told them the whole story. And all of a sudden, they realized, oh, my gosh, there's actually something going on. And they were interested, they were excited. Next thing I know, these guys, listen, they hazed me pretty hardcore. They, didn't, they wouldn't talk to me, they wouldn't listen to me, they wouldn't do anything. I asked them to go out and take, do some reconnaissance, and take some pictures of some key areas. The pictures I got back was them posing in front of a building, giving me the middle finger. Like, they really just didn't, they didn't trust me, they didn't listen to me. After that briefing, when they finally understood the big picture and understood why I was asking them to do things, they started working extremely hard for me. They, they got it because that information was shared and we started putting, our intelligence reporting increased dramatically in that area now because the whole team knew what they were looking for and we were able to put stuff together. We were able to really see more of this bigger picture in our area. What Chris Mellon said, and I agree with this, with what he said, he says the problem is you have the FBI taking reports, you have the Air Force taking reports, you have the Army taking reports, the Navy taking reports. None of them are talking about it. Nobody talks about this stuff outside of their little tiny scope of investigation. There's no centralized 
unit that he's aware of, I'm going to give that my own caveat, that he's aware of that's processing this information. That I get. That I think is probably a legit assessment at the surface level. I do suspect that there is an agency within, call it the government, call it the secret government, whatever, that is well aware of this stuff. Maybe they don't have to investigate it because they know what it is. That's a big possibility as well. Maybe, according to Dr. Greer, they don't investigate it because it's us. I, I don't know. Again, these are the questions that Tucker Carlson is not asking. He's accepting that, well, there's a breakdown in communication and the Department of Defense isn't interested in doing things any, any further and we're just going to leave it there. What I would like to see happen is us ask the bring up the other stuff you know, I, I did have a video put together. It was the top three questions that the you know the me mainstream media is not asking, but should be. Uh, I'll try to get that out this week. I, I filmed the whole thing. I just haven't edited it yet. Um, but it's everything that I've talked about. What about all the previous witnesses that have been out there? Why isn't the mainstream interviewing any of them? What makes them less credible? Now, what Chris Mellon did say, he says that the technology we have now, before the pilots used to report seeing a bright light moving very fast. They're now able to back that up with data that shows just how fast it was moving, what it was moving, where it was going, and all that stuff. So I get that. But again, it doesn't discredit accounts that we've had in the past. And why are we still not looking at people who said they've encountered beings? There's something to that. I, and I don't know why I have my theories as to why they're not looking at it. But they don't want you looking in that direction. Right now, they just want you to know there's, there's ships out there that they're not ours, and they're scary. That might not be the case, though. We may be getting set up here. Bill Cooper warned about it. Project, is it Blue Book or Blue Beam? Project Blue Beam, where they're planning to stage some kind of false invasion. Now, Dr. Greer, back in uh, was it November or February, he said, hey, it started. They're starting to set lay the groundwork for this false, this staged invasion. It sounds crazy to say it. I know it does. But when you're exploring this topic you got to look at what these major players are saying, especially when the information's conflicting. you got to look at why is it conflicting, how can we resolve that, and then you need to take a step back and say, what aren't they talking about and why? And that is how you're going to get to what the rest of the answers. What aren't they saying? What are they sidestepping? What are they avoiding? And these are some of the things that they're avoiding. So I know I'm echoing what I said last week, but I think this stuff's important. I think this is new information, new connections that are made, you know, for those of you doing your own analysis, jot down those names and let's start making the charts. Who's who's with who? Who's on, you know, which faction, which side? We can connect the dots to these people. We know that Dr. Greer has done work with uh, with Wilcock, who's tied in with Corey Good. Now, although Dr. Greer says they're all friendly, Corey Good and Wilcock says some are friendly, some are not. Um, you know, they're Corey Good. Uh, I'm sorry, Wilcock is talking the narrative of, you know, this cabal who's tied into Podesta and his group, who has connections to Tom DeLonge has, and to the stars. Once these satanic pedophilia rings start going down, they're going to start releasing information about an ancient civilization, but it's going to be designed to take the pressure off of these arrests that are going down. I mean, it's a really crazy, complex, wild story. Some of it I think we can verify. Some of it, at this point, not so much. But there are things we need to be mindful of. Why am I saying this now? Study history. Study every major war that we've been involved in. Just go back and look at Vietnam. Look at the movie coming out by Ellsworth and the Pentagon Papers uh, by, by Spielberg starring Tom Hanks. They use stories to manipulate the public to give them support to take, to give the government support to take military action. Are we seeing the groundwork for something bigger now? I think we're seeing what's called indicators and warnings here as they're trying to weaponize space or trying to create this space-based military. Now they're using this UFO possible threat, yet they're not talking about this other stuff that's out there. We need to be aware. So here's my call to action, my friends. I don't do this often, but I should do it more often. First and foremost, if you're interested in joining the team, we need your help. Please get in touch. Whatever you can do, we need your help on this. Okay. My interest, my personal interest, is getting to the truth of what's going on with the UFO matter, that's also kind of scary stuff sometimes. And working on improving our own intuitive uh, and remote viewing psychic abilities. I think that's highly important. I've done a lot of shows talking about this, the research behind it. It's real. 
If you can help in those ways, great. If you can do research, great. If you're great at social media and you want to help that way, great. If you want to write content, do videos, whatever it is, great. We need your help. But here's my next call to action. I've, I've noticed my listening, the listenings that I get on my show, they're not really going up. So I've got my steady core of listeners, and I love every one of you. I'm so thankful. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do for me, though. We need to get this information out. We need to spread it to more people who would be interested in this. I'm going to ask that if you're not comfortable putting this on social media, I get it. We all have jobs and lives to deal with, and unfortunately, we do face ridicule with this stuff sometimes. Send an email. Send the link to our stuff, to the the show, to one to three people who you think might be interested and just, just send it, please, something, or direct them to our website, whatever you have to do. But please, that's my call. To, I need your help. We're a small organization right now. It's very difficult to get this information out, but I'm going to ask that you help in that capacity, my friends. All right. I'm out of time here. My children are staring at me. We've got to get ready for tomorrow's birthday party and finish celebrating my, uh, my middle child's fourth birthday today. More to come on this. Uh, and so many other interesting topics. If you've had an experience in this area, also get in touch. I'd love to get you on the air so we can make it harder for people to deny that this is in fact happening. All right, friends, that's all the time I have. I'm Dennis Snappy II. This has been another episode of The Seeker Podcast where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning and keep an open mind. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> God.